You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast. This episode is just me giving you an update kind of on everything that's been happening over the last week. And I have to tell you, it's been a pretty intense week. Many of you know and maybe have even visited Miami Life Center, which is the yoga center that my husband and I co-founded more than 15 years ago. And when we opened the space, there was really nothing dedicated to the traditional teaching of Ashtanga Yoga here in Miami. And we had a dream about bringing that traditional teaching to Miami and South Florida. There was this feeling all those years ago that maybe Miami wasn't the place for, you know, deep, committed spiritual practice. And in some ways we felt like we were, you know, kind of leading the way to very much the Ashtanga yoga path. And what we found when we opened is that there really was already a very deep interest in the spiritual seeking and the spiritual path here in the South Florida community. So that was something really refreshing. The other thing that was kind of really interesting is that we looked all around South Florida because we thought that Miami Beach would just be too expensive and it wouldn't be the right place. And my parents actually, my mom and dad were driving around Miami Beach one night and they drove by this uh, new building that had been with put up for rent and they had to give us the address. And I remember, I think either later that day or the next day, Tim and I, we went over to this shell of a building and it was at night. I remember it being dark and looking in the windows and it was totally empty. And Tim was saying, do you think this can work? Do you think this can work? What do you think? And when I looked inside, I just had this vision of, you know, people inside the space and this kind of warm, good vibe and this good atmosphere uh, was really conducive to, you know, spiritual practice. And I said, yeah, I really think this could work. And then we proceeded to, you know, contact the landlord and begin the proceedings with setting up the space. And we were totally ignorant about what it actually takes to open a space. And when we signed the lease, the landlord thought he was being really generous and giving us three months to complete the build out. Well, it took us three months just to get the permit to complete the build out. It took us another six months to actually get the build out. So we were looking at actually maybe more like seven months. We were looking at signing the lease in January and then opening in October. So it was it was pretty intense actually and required so much help. And my parents helped out a lot with getting us established in that space. And this was our original South Beach location here on Miami Beach. Well, the reason why I'm telling you this story is because there's been a lot of community, a lot of connection, and a lot of people that have gone into making the space what it is, including, you know, including my family and the family of yogis and people that were with us from the beginning. My good friend Greg Nardi was a part of our team right from the beginning. He's gone on to do his own thing now. My good friend Olivia Martinez came over from Mexico uh, to be one of our first teachers at the space, and she's gone on to do her own thing now. But this really goes to tell the story that there's been a lot of heart and soul from many different people who really believe in the Ashtanga path right from the very beginning. 
We remember our first classes where we were just hopeful that people would show up and there were numerous times that I taught, you know, a private class, which was good for the student, you know, but we were hoping for, you know, more than one student and, and eventually it did grow. And eventually we did have really, really packed uh, classes and a flourishing community of teachers and students that really took on the mantle of Ashtanga yoga. And some have uh, gone on to become authorized by our teacher, uh, Sharaji or Sharat Joyce in Mysore and made the journey over there. And some have gone on to do their own things and open their own shalas in different places in the world, which is really, really wonderful to see that kind of flourishing, spreading pollination of the Ashtanga community, not only here in our small center, but also, you know, world, I would even say worldwide. We have some students all over the world that have gone on to open their own shalas in different countries um, as far away as Thailand, which is pretty exciting. And one of our, our most dedicated students when, when we were, when we had I guess not just first open, but when we had kind of the first iteration of the space where we had these yellow bamboo floors down and these kind of yellow walls and or orange colored walls. Um, one of our first students was in, in not first, it's one of our most dedicated students was Bunchu. And Bunchu would drive down from Fort Lauderdale and take classes with us. And he now has a really, really flourishing uh, yoga center in Bangkok. So if you haven't checked him out at uh, Shanga Yoga Bangkok, A-Y-B-B-K-K, yeah, you really should. He's a really awesome human being and a great teacher also. He makes these really fun illustrations of the Ashtanga path, which are, are just really, really good nature and really humorous as well. So we've gone through a lot with the space and every year, just like with any space, uh, the yoga business, we can pack a room and then there becomes a limit to, well, that's it. You know, the room's packed. And unfortunately, uh, the rent kept increasing and increasing and increasing about two years ago, we were looking at having about two years left on our lease and realizing that there was no way we were going to be able to afford another rent increase and a renegotiation of the lease. And we felt like we were going to either close or have to look for a new space. And we always hoped we'd be able to make this space work out. Unfortunately, last week, we began moving all of our stuff out to the final closure of our South Beach location. This was really sad, you know, after all these years of creating community and seeing how people have really just flourished within this space that we've created and that everyone's really created together as part of the community. And then just to know that, that this is over in that, in that iteration, the finality of that really brought to the surface the kind of fleeting ephemerality of everything. Things which we think are there forever can be gone in one instant. And it really brought up a lot for me. I have all these fond memories also of my father. My dad used to come over and help water the plants and take care of the plants and bring us paper supplies and stuff like this. And it was, it was a way he would kind of, you know, take care of me by helping out in the space. And I felt like when we close up that space, I'm going to say goodbye to another part of him. I always think about him when I see those plants in that space. The silver lining in all of this is that we do have a new space. We have a beautiful new building that is now open and fully functional. And it is it has, gosh, I want to say four times the amount of space as the old location. And, um, you know, it's for about the same price. And we've spent the last year and a half 
at building it. And it's uh, it's taken a lot to do that during COVID times, but we've really brought the project to completion and we're super, super excited about it. There's already a really good atmosphere and a good vibe in the new space. And we're really looking forward to kind of carrying that mantle and that torch forward. So where do we go from here? You know, I wanted to talk to everyone kind of about how major transitions can bring up stuff. So while it can be easy sometimes to focus on everything that's good and just try to stay positive, the reality of things is that, you know, in the midst of change, uncertainty, disappointment, the closing and the finality of ending a the life of a business or of anything that's been in 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 kind of kind of close circles, whether it's even just a house or an apartment that you've lived at for a long time, to close the door on that, there's a there's a certain sense of grief, a certain sense of sadness, you could say. And and I've I've definitely been sitting with that over the last week that the closing of our old location has brought to surface some challenges in important relationships and have made me start to just feel the presence of uncertainty, change, and instability. So much change, so much change over the last year and a half and just so much change every single day. It just starts to feel like there's so little ground to stand on. And, you know, sometimes people look at me and say, oh, well, you do yoga and meditation, so you should be okay with everything. However, I really want to call out that, you know, spiritual people get depressed too. And it's okay. You know, just because you practice yoga or meditation doesn't mean you don't have a bad day. doesn't mean those old patterns of depression are just magically poof and they're gone. No, it's like you have the tools, all those, all those voices of, of doubt, uncertainty that are skulking in the shadows are, are, can sometimes come up to the surface. And the difference between having the tools of yoga and meditation are the, is the difference between, you know, drowning or getting beaten down by those shadows versus having some tools uh, to work with those states of mind when they arise. Well, those old voices of doubt and self-hatred, and I definitely have both of those. Uh, sometimes when things go wrong, I can really start of uh, sort of start to hone in on my own failure and and really accentuate the places that I've done things that have that have been harmful or wrong or mistakes I've made and, and rehash the past and recycle the past and ruminate rather than uh, just sort of learn the lesson and move on or, or or project into the future and worry about what's gonna you know happen in the future. And when that comes up, it sort of you know reinstigates an old cycle of unworthiness and the lies related to you know, all of those premises of, of, of feelings of not being good enough start to arise. And there's even, even a desire or, 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 or sort of the seed of what we call in yoga himsa or violence or harm. And it's so tempting once you've been depressed once before. And I think many of you know, I've, I've struggled with, you know, bouts of, of depression since I was very, very young. And I'm so grateful for meditation. I'm so grateful for the yoga practice. I'm so grateful for my relationship with God. I'm so grateful for the tools of, uh, uh, you know, of, of um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which really put everything together. I'm just so grateful for all the tools that are at my disposal um, and for a deep faith that can carry me through periods of resurgent darkness. So when I have these periods where those old voices of you know, of, 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 of negative views start to arise. I, I don't feel lost. However, it's not easy. I know I'm not lost, you could say. I know I'm not a lost soul. At the same time, those old patterns feel so familiar, almost like an old friend. You know, that Simon and Garfunkel song that begins with, hello, darkness, my old friend. 
And I really do feel that sometimes, that it is familiar, almost like an old blanket that you put down, but you could pick up at any time and you could easily pick it up and, and, and wrap it around you. And, and, and there's almost a comfort in the feeling of, of, of tragedy. There's almost this familiarity of the known ways that have been once prevalent in, in a life. And it takes a lot of strength to know what to do when those demons of the past come with their taunts. And it's easy to think, well, now I've got to take up a fight and I've got to launch into battle. However, I don't know if that really, really works. I think it's important to kind of, you know, recognize uh, what's present and be very, very aware and, and kind of, and actually do the opposite, you know, not try to fight it, not try to say, I'm not going to be depressed now. I'm not going to be down and just kind of try to boom and snap out of it to really just recognize what's present and give it space and just say, okay, what is simply is. There's depression is present. You know, this this sadness is present. This is, and then take a look at potentially why. Gosh, there were some big life changes. The closing of a, of a building, some difficulties in interpersonal relationships. So what, what, what can we do, you know? One of the things that I, I think is really important is don't, you can, you, is don't listen to the voices of doubt and give them validity. Don't believe them. There's no reason to talk and engage deeper with the, 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 the voices of disillusionment and delusion and, and darkness. They can be there, but there's no reason to kind of strike up a bargain with them and kind of say, okay, well, I'll believe you a little and I'll, I'll work with you a little, but then go away. I'm, I get, I, one of the things that came up in my mind over the last uh, week when I really felt like there were almost these voices that were there saying to me, you know, you're just, you know, you're not good enough and you couldn't make this work and what a failure this has been. And, and, and just, you know, look at, look at, look, look at all the mistakes you've made. And just those repetitive voices don't even feel like they come from me. It's almost like they feel like they're coming from a source outside of myself. And, and then I can choose to let them in. It almost feels like there are these arrows that just get shot into my brain that aren't really originating from within myself, but are somehow yet, uh, either adopted or kind of uh, repelled by the state that I'm in, and and the more I, the more my kind of I guess you could say energy or vibration gets more attuned to the vibration of sadness, and 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 the more I spiral downward, then the the, the more likely those little arrows that are coming, uh, you know, from from various sources and what we could call triggers in the environment, the more they start to kind of take root. And and for for anyone who's unfamiliar with depression, a good a, a way to think about it is that. You know, you could be walking uh, on the most beautiful beach in the most perfect setting with birds chirping in the background and a light wind uh, rolling through and, you know, the perfect temperature and just crystal clear water and just everything that would be absolutely ideal. However, it's, it's depression is like having some headphones on where there are voices that just tell you it doesn't matter, nothing matters, this is useless, you're useless. And the dialogue starts to get very, um, you know, self-destructive, apathetic, harmful, uh, and, and, and deeply repetitive. And it's so loud, so it drowns out the environment. You could even take it further and think rather than headphones, we could almost think about depression as goggles that 
actually create a virtual reality of a stormy environment, even when the actual reality is even quite pleasant and positive and working for your best interest. And it's very difficult to, to learn how to take those goggles off if the pattern is set so deeply within, if that's all you've, if that's really all you've known, or if the, 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 the pathways in the biology of your brain are, are hardwired to accept that depressed reality as the, you know, just as, as what is. So one of the things that came up for me over the past week when I definitely felt, you know, uh, these, this, these, these old repetitive thoughts just coming back in full and in almost like a full frontal assault, there's this, um, I don't know, this phrase that I've picked up from either reading the news or I don't know, watching some movies where uh, in if someone from the United States is taken hostage, then the, there's always this, this uh, moment when someone from the U.S. State Department says the United States does not negotiate with terrorists. And so I really felt like these kind of thoughts that were trying to uh, like come in with all of their demands, you know, do take this action, do this, you're like this, you're like that. And I, at some moment, I just felt like I needed to be very aware and then look those thoughts and especially the origin point of those thoughts dead in the eye and say, listen, <laughs> I do not negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> We're not going to bargain about this. Uh, this is not the reality I'm participating in. And, you know, some people might see that as, you know, radiating light or clarity and understanding that, you know, just by not heeding the call, there's a certain attenuation that happens. And every time you do heed the call, there's a certain accentuation that happens. And so what we what we want to understand is that you know, light and shadow are in a constant dance here on this planet Earth. We don't have a planet where there is only light or there is only shadow. And, and that's a good thing because the contrast is very much what teaches us, what helps us yearn and strive for more. The brighter we shine, sometimes I feel like the, the more darkness follows. It's like if you're going to be doing something really, really powerful and good, then obstacles start to arise. And how you meet those obstacles kind of determines uh, the course of action. And if there's some sort of a spiritual mission on earth, sometimes it can feel like, you know, it can feel like it, it just shows up as a struggle. But the obstacles are a great opportunity to practice meeting that challenge, meeting that adversity, with a sense of spiritual grace, almost like a spiritual superpower that says, this obstacle will make me stronger. Uh, you know, what, what has been put in my path will be used for the good. Even that which seems as though it originates from the bad, I will use this for the good. And if you can do that, then the idea is that everything on the path can make you stronger. Everything on the path can make you stronger and stronger. So when we think about life, you know, is life... Like what is life, right? So here we are and we are and have this body and our experience of, of this life here on this planet is very much defined by what we focus on. So I invite everyone uh, who's listening and tuning in now to observe what is the predominant focus of your mind right now? And if you had to color that as positive, negative, or neutral, what would it be? Is there a dominant dialogue? Could you kind of 
identify what the stream of thoughts is. Is it skewing towards positive? Is it skewing towards negative? Is it skewing towards neutral? They say that the average human being, in order to feel happy, needs kind of a, a, a you know a, a one to four ratio of, of positive to negative. So that's one negative thing for every four positive things. And people who suffer from depression or other uh, mental health uh, disorders or, 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 or have any other issues that arise for emotional balance may actually need a much higher percentage of positive experiences in order to reach that same homeostasis as someone who doesn't suffer from the same mental health issues. So I want you to think about, again, positive, negative, or neutral. What's the predominant tinge, charge to your inner dialogue? Can we use where we are as kind of a sane recognition of reality, but not get stuck there? So sometimes we get very stuck on what is sometimes referred to as beating the drum of where we are, where we just talk about what is and how terrible it is. Look at this. This is awful. I don't have very much money. I don't have a good job. I don't have this. I don't have that. The world is terrible. The climate is horrible. There's so much injustice in the world. There's so much suffering. It's all terrible, terrible, terrible. And this is beating the drum of where we are. Now, while it's true that what is simply is, we don't need to hyper-focus only on what's not working. Once an acknowledgement of the state of the problem exists, then that's enough, at least from the vantage point of the present moment, because if we just ruminate on what is, what is, it's all terrible, 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 then, then that state of recognition is not being used as a platform for change. Then that state of recognition is being used as a platform to to, 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 to kind of perpetuate the status quo. And what we want to do is use the sane recognition of reality to actually be a platform for change. And that's true within ourselves and ultimately, I believe, also in the world. So when we focus excessively on the problems, we put a magnifying glass to the problems and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. The more problems we have, it seems the more problems we have. So it's very difficult to figure out what to do. So some People engage in what's called a spiritual bypass, and I've talked about that before, where we just avoid or ignore problems and just put kind of like a happy spin on it and sort of say, everything is for the good, yay, 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 we don't need to, like, why are we so negative? And then we kind of actually give the problems a kind of subversive power to manipulate and sabotage the good. So we can't ignore and we can't magnify. And this is where the words of the Buddha are so important to me, where, where he says, you know, what is simply is. And this means remove your judgment, remove the story, remove the personality, remove the expectation, and become aware of what is simply as it is. And in that space, we can recognize, you know, the positive, the negative, the neutral, and we can also recognize a world without the burden of all of the stories we tell about, oh, this is good, oh, this is bad, the beginning of craving, clinging, and the traditional cycle of suffering. So if we want to really do the work of awakening, and I, I feel very connected to this work of awakening, especially when there's a resurgence of the, 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 
the old patterns of the past. I don't take that as a sign that I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction. I actually take that as a sign that maybe I've gone deeper. Each time uh, this, some of those old patterns arise, it seems like I, I get a, a deeper clarity about them and I'm able to work with those old patterns. And, and, and I hope it is a more enlightened way, causing less harm to myself and less harm to others. It's like I peer just a little bit deeper down into the depths of the subconscious mind, getting closer and closer to the core knot. And then as light shines on the knot, I can take more intelligent action and hopefully untie it rather than just pulling on it in some sort of spazzy free-for-all in a frenetic act that actually ties the knot in deeper. And that can unfortunately happen when we don't take intelligent or conscious action, when we act unconsciously, then sometimes we end up uh, sort of spiting ourselves and, 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 and doing more harm than good, whereas, whereas just simply observing what is may have been a better course of action. So if you want to try to regain the power of the mind, then applying the teaching of the spiritual path in our life off the meditation cushion, off the yoga mat is a really crucial step. If we can direct our attention towards what is, acknowledge that, both what's working, what's not working, and then use that as a platform for change. We can amplify what's working. We can feel our way through to a happier place. We can hold space for change to happen in our own mind. To recognize the nature of mind is one of the key and foundational teachings on the spiritual path. If the mind is, is not the thoughts, if we are not our mind and the mind is also not the thoughts, then there's two, there's a sort of two part question. Well, what is the mind? What is the nature of mind? And what am I? And I guess the other important question is what is this body and what is the nature of, 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 of matter and, and incarnation? Why is and why and how is the mind tethered to the body? And what is the nature of mind and what is the nature of body? And then that 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 necessary question, which digs even deeper, well, who am I? What is the nature of being itself? These are the questions that, well, I mean, I'm not going to answer them here in this in this talk, but I encourage each of you to seek. Because it is not the answer that I may provide or any teacher may provide, but the impetus of seeking, the sort of catalyst to the spark of the seeker's quest within you that matters. The spiritual teaching is never really about handing anyone the answers, but about providing the just enough light to take one more step on the path and continuing to ignite the fire of, 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 of seeking and questing. If the mind is more like the sky than the clouds, then the mind is vast, open, and free like the sky. And if that vast, open container can hold all things like clouds rolling through the sky, sometimes sunny, sometimes rainy, sometimes stormy, sometimes snowy, sometimes windy, sometimes still, then the nature of mind is bigger than any temporary arising and passing of fleeting emotions, thoughts, or experiences. This container, you could say, this, 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 uh, this vastness, this emptiness, the pure awareness that comes when the focal point shifts from that individual cloud, this individual problem, into the totality of all that is. is a very important shift, a shift away from, you could say, the individual ego to you know, a transpersonal self or a transcendental self the sublimation of ego, the annihilation of ego, the death of the false self. And there is sacrifice that comes in that, and this is why we have this concept of tapas, this, this kind of purification, 
that we're going through. Each time we turn our attention away from the cloud and all of its stormy nature and redirect towards the sky and what is beyond, what is bigger than the cloud, then this is a, a form of, of a, a, a form of sacrifice. It's a form of what you could say um, repentance because when, when we repent, we turn away. So when we turn away from that, those old ways of being which have generated harm, and we turn towards something new. So when you get stuck, when I get stuck in a repetitive rut that, that seems to place a holding pattern of, of, a, of, a, of a violent storm above the head, then it can, it can feel like that almost, it's almost personal in that moment. You're like, this thunder is after you. <laughs> this thunder, like everyone else is having a good time, but, but, but not you. To remember that the cloud is merely a, a, a temporary, fleeting, arising, passing. It is, it is merely one of the vicissitudes of life, something that appears only to disappear. Or only gets stuck if we react to it and try to hold on to it. So when we think about practicing pure observation of what is, we release attachments. We also release resistance. And in that space of the vast open container, the sky-like nature of mind can be revealed and we can begin to understand the true nature of mind. And in that space of, of, of clear seeing, of wisdom, then we can begin to understand, well, what is this body? This, this body is not who I am. This body is a, is, a, is a wonderful gift, a blessing to incarnate here on this planet, to take form for the benefit of spiritual learning. Now, I believe that every human being is, is incarnate for a reason. It's not random. And that we each have some spiritual learning we're destined to accomplish here in this lifetime. What that learning is for you, I believe it's up to you to figure out what that learning is for me. I believe it's up to me to figure out. We want everyone, to, we want someone to tell us, you know, if you could just, what's my lesson? Then I want to do it. But it's really up to us to figure out what that lesson is because nobody can, can do the learning for you. The best teacher can only provide the, the, the sort of tools that will assist you on the journey of learning, but no teacher can learn for you. So this is something to think about. This, uh, this body has been perfectly equipped for the journey of life. Whatever your journey is, this body has been perfectly equipped for that journey. So when we reflect on the purpose of the body, I think of the body as a vehicle and that this vehicle accomplishes a couple of things. It slows down the mind a little bit so the rapidity of thoughts can actually be kind of experienced and seen so that we have this notion that body sensations are very related to what we think and how we feel. So then in those moments of depression, darkness, there is a corollary feeling, an embodied sense of self that appears and very often we react nearly not as strongly to the thoughts as to the embodied feeling of those thoughts. So that if we can actually utilize the tool of the body as this kind of field of experience, and then again, hold the body as this really blessed gift, no matter what size, shape, age, or level of physical ability you, 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 your body has, so just recognize this very body is this gift and blessing and is, is here for my, my spiritual lesson. This vehicle contains everything that I need for my journey. To recognize that and to reflect on that is, I think, a very important part of our spiritual path. And then finally, to ask the question of being, well, who am I? Who am I if I'm not my body and I'm not my mind? 
this question of I, who am I? So to answer the question is very difficult because we have to say, well, I am. I am what? I am my name. I am just a name. You can change your name at any moment. I am, I am my, my what? Your accomplishments? Well, certainly not that. You know, those are more temporary than anything else and emotions, thoughts, you know? So what am I? And then we can think about perhaps the only answer to the question of beingness is this simple statement, I am that I am, you know? How is there any other way to answer? Some people may answer, you know, I'm a child of God, I'm a magical being of light or something like this. And I believe all that's true. And that there's something more simple, this simple statement of I am, that each and every being simply is, the isness of this moment, the beingness contained within every every particle and packet of energy, the eternality of every 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 space, every being, every animate and inanimate object, every molecule, every particle, every planet, every galaxy, the every 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 bit of space within the infinite expansion of the universe, the beingness, the isness, the transcendent nature of what is. So this is an experience that can come through the practice of yoga and meditation. And this is the promise that the experience of being will eventually present itself to you and to every practitioner. And we seek for that. We seek for that. We seek for that. So that catalyst is there. So it's not just, say, me, everybody who wants to practice. If you want to practice, you can do it. Understanding that not every day will be a beautiful sunny day. Not every practice will be fruitful or easy. Not every practice will be you know, light, free, and easy. Some will be very arduous, filled with a kind of heaviness or a labor. And sooner or later, however, the clouds pass away and sooner or later, the clouds probably come back. And the notion is just to keep practicing, keep practicing, keep practicing with full expectant faith that the practice itself, the path itself will provide the tools to do all of the work that needs to be done. And that along the way, we will all learn to enjoy the path and the experience of being just a little bit more. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.